0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We're continuing our series on abiding in Christ. We're looking at uh, chapter 15 of John where Jesus explains the essence of the Christian life, which is he's the vine, you're the branches. We're just going to look at one verse together this morning. It's it's verse 9 of chapter 15. And in this is the very heart of transformation in our lives. It says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I want to tell you a story as we begin looking at this together. a story about the Apostle John who wrote this Gospel. The Apostle John lived to be a... Uh, A ripe old age. He lived into his 80s. But when he was 80 years old, the story is told that he had led a a young man to the Lord. He had led him into faith. And the Apostle John was still an itinerant preacher, missionary at that time. And so he left this young convert in the charge of a local pastor. And he said to him, "I, I want you to take care of this young man. He's important to me. And so John came back from his missionary trip and the pastor said, I have some bad news for you. Not only has he left the faith, but he has also joined a gang and he is now robbing and killing people. And they have a hideout up in the, in the mountains and it's very, very dangerous there. And without even stopping to think, the Apostle John, 80-something years old, goes out to the hideout. And as he gets there, he's taken by the lookouts and he's taken to the, the council of leaders of this gang and they're trying to decide if they're going to kill him or not. And one of the leaders now in the gang is this young man who was one of his converts to the faith. And the young man sees the Apostle John, this young man who's a thug. I mean, he's, he's armed to the hilt. He's, he's mighty in, in terms of his strength and his power. But when he sees the apostle John, he drops all of his weapons and takes off running, crying. John runs after him and he says, why, why are you running from me? He says, I'm afraid of you. Here's a, <laughs> here's a gang member, first century, you know, first century gang member who's afraid of an 80 year old man. Why? Because there's a genuine love and a genuine holiness in John that no weapon can stand against. See, what John is writing to us about what Jesus is teaching here is that there should be a genuine love in you that's dangerous. There should be a real holiness in you that is inexplicable. That really when Jesus says you will have fruit and when He's saying they'll be pruning In your life, what he's really talking about is that he wants to take bankrupt people and fill them up. He wants to take broken people and make them whole. He wants to take people who are unclean with the things of this world and to give them a genuine holiness that is so noticeable that people cannot help but see there's something different about you. See, when we talk about really the pruning and the fruit, that remains when Christ is abiding in you and you are abiding in Christ. We're really talking about something called sanctification. It's about people who weren't holy being made holy. See, in some ways this process is only for people who recognize how broken they are. See, the people who think they are holy don't need sanctification. They just want applause. They just want to be praised. But the people that Jesus is after are those who know I have nothing. Those who recognize I'm not clean. I am not having all my ducks in a row. I don't have it all together. It's those people that the process that He begins to work in their lives truly becomes fruit that remains. And one way of, of stating what Jesus is doing is God is freely, by His grace, working to make you whole. And in making you whole, He's restoring in you His image. That which was marred by sin and death, He's restoring the image of God in your life, which gives you amazing dignity and incredible worth. And what He's doing in everybody's life through this pruning and fruit-producing process is He's making it to where things that used to be absent in your life are now inexplicably present and things that used to appeal to you no longer even attract you that's real righteousness real righteousness isn't just restraint it isn't just deciding I'm not going to show anybody how angry I really am or it isn't just every day I live with so much lust but I'm gonna pray like I'm gonna play like I'm just I'm I'm really pure true righteousness is where things that are righteous are actually attractive to you and things that are unrighteous no longer have mastery over you. And so the the fruit that he's looking for really is to sanctify your innermost being and give you character in such a way that, that even when no one's looking, you are the same person. Holiness is really who we become when we're in Jesus. Now, The centerpiece of all of this, Jesus says, is love. It's love, His love in you that transforms you supernaturally. Now, one of the things, I've been in the church, I've been in religious kind of environments my whole life, and one of the things that's so interesting is how people define their holiness. And what I've seen a lot over the course of my life is a lot of people define their holiness by by their behavior, by the things they do and the things they don't do. And it's so interesting, I've been in a lot of environments where where the people who were supposedly righteous in that environment were actually pretty repellent. They were, they, they were filled with judgmentalism, they were filled with condemnation, they were filled with competition, but there wasn't a sense that there was love and there was acceptance and that there was any sense of real according to Jesus righteousness because the the test case really friends about holiness is it does it appeal to the weak does it appeal to the sinner does it appeal to the unbeliever do you know Jesus was called a friend of sinners and that wasn't a compliment that he was called as one who spent all his time with the weak and yet he was purity and holiness in its complete genuine expression. And yet, the ones who were repelled by Him were the religious. So in many ways, if you're going to declare that you are holy, then it better be that you're surrounded by weak people who are drawn to you. If you are truly holy, if you have a genuineness, then the, then the, the essence of that holiness is is that you are filled with love and you do not look at others as competition for yourself. There is no justification by comparison in Christianity. You'll always find somebody who's less than you. You'll always find someone who's better at it than you. And whenever you do that, all you're doing is showing you have not yet abide, learned to abide in the love of Jesus. Now, this christ-like godliness this christ-like character begins to draw people around you so as you're abiding in jesus's love you begin to realize that this this love is what truly makes you whole for example whenever you're disobedient any area in which you're not doing what you know the lord wants you to do it's an issue of love it's a love issue. It's, it's because in that area you believe that you will get what you need and what you want from practicing that sin rather than relying on Jesus and His righteousness and His holiness and His presence. Every place you're disobedient is a manifestation of a place where you have yet to experience healing. So, when you begin to abide in His love and that becomes the essence of your relationship with Jesus, your whole life is transformed from the inside out. Now, you might say to me, well, you know, why is this so important? Well, the primary fruit of the Spirit in any believer's life is love. It is the primary fruit. All the other fruits flow out of this fruit. But it's, it's even more than that. It's the essence of the very character of God. It doesn't say that our God is loving. It doesn't say that He has love. It says God is love. So this essence is love, which then goes to this very important point, and that is, if God is love, therefore heaven is a world of love. That the existence that we are living for beyond this existence is a world of love. It's not a world of faith. Because everything will be sight and you won't need faith. It's not a world of hope because all your hopes will be realized. But more than that, and this, this drives me crazy as I deal with people's funerals, is they're like, at least now they're at peace. Who wants to be at peace for eternity? It's boring. That's why a lot of people don't want to go to heaven. They're like, it's going to be boring. And plus, I have no friends there anyway. And, uh, <laughs> this is Eastern mysticism. It's not Christianity. See, do you know where the greatest teaching on heaven is in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. And when the perfect comes, in other words, when His goals and objectives for you come, when all that you've been through is being realized in the life to come, then you will know Him. And I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge, but you will experience intimacy with Him like He has been experiencing intimacy with you. And though now you see in a glass darkly, then you will see face to face. See, heaven is not a world of peace. It's a world of love. If you've ever been in love or you've ever been with someone you love, you realize something. Time just seems to fly. Now, when you're with people you hate, it seems like eternity. Some of you think Sunday mornings are an eternity. but, uh, But for most of us, when we're in what we love, we never have enough time. When you're sitting around the fire with your friends and you're enjoying and swapping stories or you're just laughing together, it's suddenly midnight and you don't even realize all the time has gone. You see, when something is a world of love, time seems irrelevant to you. And eternity is a world of love. And so Jesus is saying, we have to abide in this. And so He begins to give us a carefully expounded teaching on how we abide in His love. And the problem for many of us is that we have heard this wrongly. I was taught it in a wrong way all of, all of my early adult life. I was taught that what Jesus was saying is that every day you have to check yourself to see if you love Jesus. So the idea was you would abide in His love by making yourself love Jesus. But you see, the Lord Jesus absolutely knows that you're incapable of loving Him. You have no capacity to love Him. So His command here isn't that you abide in your love for Him, but rather that you abide in His love for you. And so what He's saying is, when you go and you're, you're wasting yourself on pornography, that as you're failing and falling apart sexually, that you don't say... Do I love Jesus? No, you'd say, the Father loves me because I am in Jesus. When you're tempted to go take that hit on whatever drug it is that will get you relief from your pain, whether it's food or whatever, it might be, an ins- and you fall again, and you comfort yourself with something that gives you guilt and shame. Instead of saying, do I love Jesus? In that moment, you go, no, even when this is happening to me, the Father still loves me because I am in Jesus. Because what, what happens is, you and I do not realize we are incapable of love. And this is one of the biggest things that most of us lie to ourselves about because we've felt love before. But we've felt love for couches, for houses. We've felt love for cars. I mean, the truth is, when we say, Oh, I love, we love Coca-Cola. We love, you know, Pepsi. we, We love all kinds of things because we don't really know what love is. What we know is this. We know conditional love. In other words... We, we can know romantic love, but we, only look, we are only romantically in love with someone as long as we're attracted to them. Once they're no longer attracted to, uh, attractive to us, we are no longer in love with them. We, we know affection. When someone does and pleases us and does what we want them to do, we feel great affection. Now, if my marriage was based on affection, I would have killed Lisa many, many times. <laughs> Because when I'm driving, she makes noises, sound effects. I mean, I hate them to the max and have often thought about opening the door, pushing her out at 55 miles an hour. I am not the only male in here who feels that way. See, some of us have had friendships. We've had friendship love again as long as the friend is who we want them to be. As long as they do what we want them to do, we're friends with them. But you can't tell me there are a number of friends in your life who are no longer in your life. Either geography or something happened, whatever it might be. Even family. We can have bonds and obligations to family and still hate our families. Or even love them but not really want to be a part of them. Kind of a thing. So what? what well, all that says to you is this. You do not have a capability. You do not have the capacity for the love that He has for you. So you have to abide in His capacity to love you. And if you will reverse this, this love He has for you is constant. It is the original pattern that Jesus Himself used to abide in the love of the Father. Now, one of the things I want to show you from this is the pattern that Jesus used to abide in love because this is what He's asking of you. If you look in the Gospel of John, there's only one time, there's only one time that I can find that Jesus expresses His love for the Father. But there are numerous, numerous times that He says to His disciples and He says to the religious leaders, the Father loves me. You understand, what He's trying to teach you is it doesn't depend on whether you say, I love you, Jesus. It depends on whether you've received and accepted that the Father loves you because you are in Christ, you are loved as if you were Christ. And see, this is so wonderful for everybody but the religious people in this room. Because the religious people have invested in deserving love. They have invested in an an agreement or a bargain with God. I pray so much. I witness so much. I go to church. I do this. I do that. You must love me. You see, and the problem is you've made an agreement for which he has not signed on. And what has happened is you've wasted your time on something that cannot be yours. See, those of us who understand how bankrupt we are, how broken we are, how everything we do is tainted in some way, even when we try to do our best, realize there's a dead end to religion. There's a dead end to religious exercise. That it all has to be Jesus or nothing. And so what happens then is you begin to realize that you could have had the worst past You could have the most broken marriage. You could have the most broken life. And yet, right now, you can connect to the perfect love of Christ through faith in Him alone. And it transforms the beggar into a child. It transforms you into a child of the King with all the resources of the King and all the rights of sonship and daughtership. You see... It should never be that when you say to a true believer, God loves you, they they go, yeah, sure. Okay, great, I know that. Instead, they should go, isn't that extraordinary? You understand something? It's not extraordinary that you love Jesus. All heaven loves Jesus. It's extraordinary that heaven loves you. That's what's extraordinary. Because they know all your secrets. There's a book up there with all your crap. (laughs) A heavenly computer of your entire life. And on judgment day, it will be revealed. And those who are not in Christ will look for rocks to hide themselves. Because everything that you thought nobody knew, they know. And it's only when you realize, oh my goodness, it's extraordinary that I am loved like Jesus is loved. I mean, there should never be in any Christian any sense of pride whatsoever. Because we are loved in spite of ourselves. We are loved having been known all the way to the bottom. He loves us all the way to the top. Look at this, look at this pattern that Jesus had with His Father. The very first manifestation of the pattern is in John 1. It's so beautiful. It says, The Son is the eternal Word of the Father to us. And He has ever lived and dwelt face to face with God. Do you understand? Apart from Christ, if you get face to face with God, you would be obliterated. Moses was a great man, and yet he could only see the backside of the glory of God and only because he was hidden by Jesus in the cleft of the rock. Isaiah saw just a glimpse of the glory of God and he fell down like a dead man and said, woe is me, I'm a man undone. You don't even have a chance. And yet, the one who loves you and gave himself for you has been face to face with the glory of God, with the beauty of God, with the holiness of God for all eternity. And He invites you in Him to come face to face with your Father. There's an eternal bond of love that the Father loves the Son just because He's His Son. Here, here Jesus explains it in John. He says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. The commentators say this is a reference to the system of father and son mentorship that was there in the early world, in the, this early century, that the father would, would unfold and, and share with the son all the secrets of his trade, how to make a living, how to, how to be a master carpenter. And so Jesus had spent his, his young life in his father's workshop. And his father had taught him all about being a carpenter in the carpenter's workshop. And then Jesus refers to this experience with the, which they would have understood, but now he says, my heavenly Father has opened up the entire universe to me. And he has shown me everything. And he has shown me exactly what he is doing and how he does what he's doing. He's talking about the bond and the connection that there was and that there always is between father and father. And son, and it's an extraordinary love that the father has towards the son. In, in chapter eight, verse 42, Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He's saying, if you knew who Jesus is, you would love him like the father loves him. Jesus prayed this way. He said, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them." Now, you may not be ready for this teaching today. It's possible. I remember in my twenties I was not ready for this teaching. People would come up to me and say, do you love Jesus? And I would say, yes, I read my Bible every day. Yes, I preach every Sunday and I get a hundred bucks for preaching. You know, and uh, you know, I, I'm going to seminary. Yes, I'm training to be a pastor. I'm training to be a missionary. If you'll listen to that, when I'm saying I love him, I'm telling what I'm doing for him. I, I'm trying in a way to say, let let me justify my love. Let me show you that my love is even stronger than your love is for him which if anybody had had any insight, they would have immediately said to me, you're you're not loving Him because you're not really experiencing His his love for you. You see, what Jesus is saying is what John says in another place. He says, we don't love Him because we produce love for Him. We love Him because He first loved us that you do not have the capability of producing. You can have some affection for God. You can sometimes be attracted to God. You can feel a bond or an obligation. You can be afraid of the consequences of not serving God, but that's not loving God. The only way that you grow in the ability to love God is first you have to recognize and you have to realize He loves me. And it doesn't matter what obstacle you're going through with what challenge. You know what Jesus, every one of these verses, Jesus is facing a challenge. He's being rejected by the religious leaders. He's being attacked on many hands by Satan himself. He is going through incredible challenges. And you know what he says every time he faces the challenge? My Father loves me. See, if you will stop trying to prove that you love him, and instead let it into your heart that He loves you, a radical change will happen to your heart. Even, even, friends, the things you're attracted to right now that you're saying, I don't know if I want to give this up. Just say as you're going to go and sin that sin. Or you're going to do that thing which you're not sure the Lord wants. Even as you go, say, even if I do this, the Father loves me. Even if I do this, the Father loves me. See, I, I do love it that we sing of how we love Him. That's important. It's good for our souls, but it, it's, good, it's good for us. You understand? When I say to the Lord, I love you, that's for me. He already knows. You know why Jesus didn't have to continually say, Father, I love you? Because His life was a demonstration of His love. Here we find it in one of the most significant places where Jesus speaks. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. You see, he said, for this reason. He didn't have to continually say, Father, I love you. Don't you know that I love you? No, he said, the Father knows I love him because I lay my life down. This is so powerful when you begin to realize it is not about you producing feelings of love for God. It is about you receiving the reality of the love God has for you. That changes it completely. We have to first then grasp this love that the Father has towards the Son. Now, this is so powerful. He loves Jesus and He has always loved Jesus because He is His Son. He has this mutual admiration between the two of them. They have an intimacy that is so deep. They have a loyalty to one another. They esteem one another. They have fellowship and full enjoyment of each other. Do you not understand that what you're being invited into is not a religion, friends, where you are, you're trying to, you know, placate the God or whatever it might be. You are being invited into this intimacy. You are being invited into the inner circle of the love that the Father has had for the Son and the Son for the Father. You are being privileged to be right in the middle of it. You! I can see you're, you, you don't deserve it. You're not worth it. And if you think you are, you're still not there. But if suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I'm not being called to kind of worship the deity and bring Him sacrifices and try to keep Him from being angry with me. I'm being invited into the intimacy, the mutual admiration, the fellowship, the love, the joy. Do you know what the Father and Son were doing before any of us came along? They were enjoying each other. Again, I say to you, see a picture in Genesis where, where God had Adam and Eve living in the garden and it said they were naked and unashamed. There was nothing that separated them. They not only had pers—they not only had physical nakedness, they had personal nakedness with one another. They had intimacy with each other. They were face to face with one another. What has sin done? It's made it to where we have to have clothes on. It means that we have to hide from each other. We have to make ourselves look like we're something we're not in order that we can be accepted. My favorite i got to tell you, many of you probably don't watch commercials on TV. I still love commercials. My favorite one is for dandruff shampoo. It's so funny because you're absolutely unworthy of any love if you have white flakes on your jacket. That is so interesting to me, and I think many of us believe that. Somehow I am not worthy of love because I have dandruff. That's why no one loves me. I have these things. no. You know, the issue is, friends, that even if you can make yourself look perfect on the outside, it's your inside that betrays you. And so what we need is we need a relationship of intimacy that doesn't depend on our extraordinariness. You have to, really, in order to be loved, you have to be able to be yourself. You're not loved when you're faking like you're somebody you're not. Your subconscious is wise enough to know that when they love your presentation, they're not loving you. And what we're being called to here is we're being called to someone who knows everything about you and says, I love you unconditionally. I love you with an intimacy with which the Father has loved me. In many ways, this is beyond our ability to grasp, but we have had a little taste of it. You know, when when you are with someone you love, when you're with somebody you really deeply care about, have you ever noticed time just seems to fly? You know, just those times of being with someone you love. Uh, it's midnight, and and you're like, how did that happen? You know, and you, you 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 sometimes when you're just in the presence of the Lord, and it just seems like, oh Lord, I just want more of you, I just want to linger with you, and so. It's interesting because that aspect of fellowship where it's not about doing something, but it's about being with someone. Now in the church, I'm going to tell you a little secret. We really, everything we want is for you to be together. So we make up reasons for you to be together. Okay, so we have growth groups where we study books, where we study this or we study that. But the truth is we just want you to be together. Because if you are together, you will be transformed. But if I advertise it like that, I'm going to say, okay, this week we're going to have a meeting on Wednesday to be. I will get all kinds of... What are we doing at that meeting? Well, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to be. Well, I won't be there. (laughs) We have to fake you into, we have to strategize you into... Being together because you're much more human doings than beings. And you are not transformed by doing. And most people who are human doings are trying to prove they have worth. And it's never enough. And so, Jesus not only enjoyed forever this intimacy, this eternal intimacy with the father because he was a son but the beauty of this passage is that the father grew in his love and developed a deeper deeper love for the son than he ever had before this is what we see in John ten seventeen. he says the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I can take it back up again you understand The Father grew in such pride and love for His Son over the course of of Jesus' ministry. You see it right in the beginning. There was a joy in the Father for the Son because the Son left heaven. Left the glory of heaven, the safety of heaven. And He entered into the darkness of a human womb. And He was taken to a place where there was not even a place to lay His head. And yet... The Father was so in love with the Son, He sent 10,000 angels to sing hallelujah. Then the Father was so, so overwhelmed with joy in His Son when His Son submitted to baptism and, and His human nature was baptized with the Holy Spirit for the ministry that He had. ahead. Because Jesus didn't do His ministry in His divinity. He did His ministry in His Spirit-filled humanity. And the Father thundered from heaven and said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Guess what? If you are in His beloved Son, the Father is still thundering from heaven for you. You are My beloved daughter. You are My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then when He went to the cross, the Father said, I have glorified this hour and I will glorify this hour. I, you've got to get this. There is an eternal intimacy the Father had with the Son, but there was also this growing and deepening love that took place because of His response to the Father's love. He's saying, as the Father has loved me so, I love you now. Abide in that same love. Let me make it personal. I I, I, I've been a father for 37 years. My oldest son, Joseph, is my first. I have never felt anything like becoming a father. And when my son was born, I would just say to you, I will love my son forever. I have, there's a son love. There's a love for my firstborn in here that is not like any love I have for anybody else. But I have never loved him more. Then the day I had to call him to tell him Lisa had cancer. About 7 a.m. in the morning, I call him, I'm crying, and I'm telling him, son, I have this bad news, your mom has cancer. He says, dad, I will be on the first plane this afternoon that I can get on. I, I will be there with you and mom. I tell you, I've always loved my son, but I love him even more now. You understand, because he responded, because he was there, because he knew I needed him. He responded, I have Father love for Him, but if ever I loved Him, that moment I loved Him even more. Are you hearing me? That's the way the Father felt as Jesus died for you. As Jesus gave Himself for you. It's an eternal love that we abide in, but it's also a love that grows and develops. I love this so much because it means God is not this static, He's not this stuck-in-the-mud kind of God. He's a God who has a dynamic with you and me just like He had a dynamic with His own Son. And the atonement that Jesus made is not the end, but it's the beginning of us being able to grow and develop in love from God. Jesus said, the reason my Father loves me, I lay down my life the Father was singing an even greater love over the sign. I don't know if any of you ever sang this song, but when I was growing up, we sang a song that said, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. You know, and, but at the end it says, If ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. And it's so powerful, this old hymn, because it, it proclaims that there's been a love that's existed for such a long time. He's loved you since before the foundation of the world. But there's also this aspect of His growing and deepening love for you. And as you respond to Him, as you begin to re- react and, 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 and give yourself in submission to Him, the love grows and it deepens. And here's what He says, I will love you to the end. Yeah. But here's the problem with so many: whether well, He's going to love me until no, I die. No, that's not the end. It's when He says, I love you to the end, I love you till My purposes are accomplished. And here's what His purpose is. That you will be able to experience and give, receive and distribute love just like He loves you. He will keep loving on you till you have capacity to love like He loves you. In other words, everything going on in your life He is love is in the midst of it. Don't run from it. Run to it. There's the ability to experience greater communion than ever before. Now, as I was wanting to explain this to you, I always have to go back to my roots, back to kind of English Puritanism and and back to these guys who meditated on these things, spoke of them, In ways that nobody else speaks on, one of those great teachers was a man by the name of John Owen. And Owen explained the love of God in a way I want you to understand. I think it will stick with you if you'll let it. He called the nature of God's love complacency. Now we use complacency as as a negative. We say somebody has no passion. We say they have no motivation. But that's not what the word originally meant. The word originally meant with pleasure. With fullness. With satisfaction. What Owen is saying is that Jesus is portraying to us a love for you that God has contentment. That He is satisfied in you. That He has pleasure in you. Now, Fullness that he is settled on this relationship and he will not change his mind. Now, this is important for this reason. You and I have plenty of relationships where there isn't a settled end to this relationship, even marriages can end. Even people who say, I love you so much, can disappear from your life because if somehow you're not giving them what they thought you should give them or you're not who they thought you should be, they think they have the right to walk out of your life. And if you haven't had that happen, praise be to God, but most of us in here have had people devastate us. And the reason often was they thought us not enough. So here is the God of the universe, the glorious, almighty One, all-powerful, all-knowing, and He has settled that you are enough. He has settled His pleasure on you. He is satisfied. Do you understand how comforting that is? How secure that is? How safe that makes you? It means that even if you screw up tomorrow, His pleasure will still be on you because it wasn't based on you today. Oh, I love this. I love this. He has settled the issue. He does not have to come back and go, well, you know, that maybe it was a mistake to take that one on. why I told you the story of Apostle John. The Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, Revelation, the letters of John, who was a leader in the first century church, risked his whole life for a thug, for a gang member, was willing to die so that that young man would know that he loved him. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Who? So, let me give you just a few things to finish with. What does that love, that nature of complacency mean in God? Number one, it means the delight He has in you today, He will have every day. Zephaniah three fourteen through 17 says, God's dancing and singing over you right now. Some of you can't hear it. You just hear the funeral dirge. The woe is me. You know, but God is singing over you. He delights in you. He, he will not change tomorrow because you screwed up today. He has settled this issue. And you can keep testing him. And, and most of us stupidly keep testing it to see if he'll say, well, if I do this, will you love me? If I do that, will you love me? And he just stays very complacent while he delights over you because he delights in his son. Because you are in Christ, you are loved as if you were Christ. His delight in you will not change. And Jesus said, the joy that He has, He has put in you. And if you think about it, it says that He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. You were the joy set before Him. Well, it's a love of value, Owen says. In other words, the saving love of God expresses a valuation. Because Christ died for us and we are in Him, God values us as nothing less than His own Son. We love what we value. And Jesus has said we are loved because we are His treasure. If there are any of you in this room, I, please listen to me. If you say to yourself, I'm stupid, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, you are hearing lies from hell. Because Jesus has said, you are worth me. Jesus has said, you are worth my love. Now, he didn't die before you because you are worthy. You have become worthy because he died for you. And you can no longer say you're unlovable. Close these lies, and you need to look in that mirror. And every time you're tempted to say, I'm nothing, I'm a failure, I'm all of these things, you say, I have value. The value I have is set. Jesus has said his life was worth my life. Now, let me take that a step further. How can you treat somebody else as if they are nothing? How can you say color of skin or accent or culture or geography or ethnicity? How can you say that any of those things are a reason to hate, a reason to ignore, a reason to mistreat? If you do so, then you're doing so because you still think you're nothing and you're fighting against anybody else becoming something. See, at the root of all hatred, at the root of all of our real issues, are, is fear. And fear manifests and, 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 and provokes pride. So that we live our lives apart from Jesus on a basically a seesaw of I'm the greatest or I'm the nothing. And as long as we're living that way, then anybody who makes us the greatest is our friend and anybody who makes us feel like we're nothing is our enemy. And we live not by the Spirit, but we live by the flesh. And there is no way as a Christian who has come to understand the Father loves me as if I were Jesus. I am loved. I am growing and developing in love with my Father. How in the world can I then not treat somebody who's different from me as equal to me? Racism has no place in Christianity even the idea of denominationalism or the idea of this church is better than that church or this group is better do you understand it is extraordinary that he loves any of us i'm amazed that he loves me and so as i see him loving you it just it makes me love you more and more love you for who you are not for who i you know trying to become something you're not There's a valuation that takes place because of His love. But also, it's a a love that, that has always this compassion for you. He says, the world is going to hate you. Because it hated me, it's going to hate you. And He says, prepare for that, but I've given you a comforter. And it's not a down comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. And then there's a bounty where He says... In the midst of all of this, I don't call you servants. It's not about what you do for me. I call you my friends. You have access to me that a friend has. There's bounty in this love. There's not poverty. There's abundance. Let me finish with this. I hear the music. I know I've gone over. I'm going to be in trouble. But let me finish with this. What he's really talking about here, friends, is a very personal union. It's not a union with a church or a doctrine. It's not the union with a, even a truth. It's the, a personal union with the Lord Jesus Christ. A big mistake happened in the Middle Ages. A huge mistake. Leaders of the Roman church decided that the church had the right to dispense grace. Grace. And they made up the idea that you could get grace by doing certain things. For example, if you got baptized or christened in the church, that gave you grace. If you did communion, you were confirmed or you confessed or you, you uh, did penance, that was giving to you grace. Or if you got married in the church and you stayed married, even when you were cheating on your wife, you were still, that marriage gave you grace. And you see... The Bible does not teach that. That is false religion. Mary cannot give you grace. Mary is depending on the grace of her son. The saints cannot give you grace. They are depending on the same grace that is offered to you. In a way, there is no such thing as grace if you'll listen to me. There is only Jesus. There is not another way to be right with God. There is not another way to experience the Father's love. The Father is so in love with the Son that the love that the Father has for the Son flows to those who are also choosing the love of the Son. There is no religious way to God. There is only a personal union with Christ. There is no other grace. There is no organization. There is no person who can dispense a right standing with God There is only Jesus. But when you have only Jesus, you have all the love of the Father. Because I am in Christ, I am loved as Christ. What an awesome truth. Will you stand with me? Can you hear me today? Six or seven of you, that's good. Man, I tell you, I sweat for nothing sometimes up here. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: would you be willing would you be willing to receive this love in a fresh way I, I just sense I sense that some of you you need this to be very immediate it's not risen king giving you the love it's the risen king it's not me I'm depending on this vine just like I'm asking you to depend on the vine. I have no grace to dispense to you whatsoever. I am depending on the grace alone that is the person of Jesus Christ. I am telling you where I found it. And I am telling you how extraordinary it is to be loved this way. I remember the days of trying to prove that I loved Him of trying to be the best pastor or preacher or the best Bible scholar or whatever it was, and it was so empty. It did nothing for my lust. It did nothing for my ambition. It did nothing for my impatience. But Him him loving me has opened up a capacity now for me not only to receive love and be loved, but to give love. And I can't think of a time in our life where this isn't necessary. But for me, as I walk through this time with Lisa, as I, I see day by day trying to help her get healed, to help her get her strength back, I can't do it in my strength. I have to abide in the vine. It shows all my flaws, it shows all my cracks, but He shows me all His love as I'm going through it. I'm inviting you into this love. There's no other way. There's no church that can give it to you. There's no doctrine that can make it to where it holds you at night. There's only the Lord Jesus who gives the Spirit of Christ who will never leave you and never forsake you. He knows how incapable you are so His end is that you will become capable. You will have a capacity for love like never before. Would you receive Him today? Would you say these words with me? Lord Jesus... I receive, your love. I receive
1: your love.
0: I choose to abide in this love. I, choose to abide in this love. I am
1: saying today,
0: I am saying today to, the heavenly realm to the heavenly realm that I am loved by the Father as if I were the Son.
1: Will
0: you say it again out loud for me? I am loved by the Father As if I were the Son, I have value, I have bounty, bounty. And and this will never change. I'm saying to you, this is an old love, it's always existed, but today it is new. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. That's when it gets fresh, friends. That's when it gets really real. That's when Your holiness takes on a whole new dimension and you become whole. Seal what you're doing now. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.